taken from Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Is there any encouragement from the belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and persevere people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then, on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. And uh, it's a wonderful privilege, as always, to share the Word of God uh, with the fellowship here in the church. And over the last number of weeks, we have been reading our way through the New Testament, um, and we've been introduced to some marvelous authors with some wonderful stories to tell and some experiences to share. And over the course of the last week, we have been delving into the letters of Paul, these epistles, these personal letters that he wrote to the early church. And I was struck this morning, um, we, we, we saw it last week as well, but again on the, the screen this morning, we were reminded of the impact that the church, this church has had in the community with its gifts, its little parcels of hope that people have received. And there was one particular comment there that said, even though I am a confirmed non-believer, I appreciate seeing genuine Christianity worked out in the community. That is someone who saw just in a little box something that represented to him or to her what it means to be a true Christian working in the community. And I praise God for a church like this that has got a vision to do little things like that that can make an enormous difference. Well, we all know, of course, that 
church and churches generally for centuries of years are not always the most harmonious of places to be. They are given to strife and they're given to argument, largely because many of us hold strongly held beliefs, beliefs and if they're challenged or questioned, we perhaps can respond with something less than true grace. We perhaps can respond with anger um, and use words that we ought not to use or perhaps uh, behavior that's not very acceptable either. Well, the early church was no different. The early church had disputes and arguments, even though they were a persecuted people. And this morning, uh, we want to just briefly have a look at that church, but in particular, to have a look at Paul's letters as he wrote to the different churches scattered around the areas of the Mediterranean and further afield uh, to encourage them to live a life uh, that was honoring to God, that was supportive and loving to each other, and that would make a difference in the community. And as I say, as we've been reading these past weeks, um, a number of these letters and the stories of the early church, I wanted to just take a moment to go over um, the readings of this week where we have been in Romans, uh, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. What a list of letters that Paul has left for us to read. Well, we can't possibly do them all, but what I would like to do is to take a little sample from each of those by way of introduction and by way of setting the scene for what we will consider from his letter to the Philippians. So you'll excuse me as uh, my glasses um, uh, go on and off my face. I, I can't read with my glasses on, and I, um, and I can't see you with my glasses off. Um, so uh, I'll take my glasses off for a moment and trust that you're all listening, um, and then I'll put them back on again so that I can see. Well, we're going to take our first reading um, from the book of Romans, um, this tour de force um, of theology. Uh, but here there's some very practical words that Paul shares with the early church. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So that was a little section 
of Paul's letter to the Roman church. And there he was encouraging, encouraging them to love each other. And this in turn would be a great demonstration to the world that watched them. When he was writing to the church in Galatia, he said, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Then, in his letter to the church of Ephesus, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. to the church of the Colossians. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And that little phrase is so key to the modern day church as it has been for the church down through the years, that we have been created in God's image. God has put a spirit within us so that we may be a reflection of him in the world that we live out there in the community, a representative of God. That's a huge, huge privilege, but also a huge responsibility. Paul then writing to young Timothy in his first letter, he said, the purpose of my instruction, Timothy, is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a genuine faith. And in his second letter, he said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And also to Titus, he wrote these words. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. Why we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. 
And then he also wrote to Philemon, if you remember, regarding a runaway slave from the household of Philemon. It seems you lost Onesimus, this runaway slave, for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now, he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And finally, from, uh, from the letter to the Philippians that we read this morning, and thank you, Josh, for that. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And here is our thoughts for today, or the little thought. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. These verses <clears throat> that we have been reading reveal the heart of Paul and his desire for the early church. His desire that this church and this modern-day church as is handed down to us should be a true representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, both to each other but also to the world in which we live. His vision for the church was one that was bonded together in true love and true unity. And whilst there may be at times difficulties, there may be challenges, there may be disputes and arguments about what's right and what's not right, what's good, what's not good, it never ever overrides this desire to love one another and as we've been encouraged that we are required to forgive. If you remember, Peter was, he was troubled by this thought that was he expected to forgive and forgive and forgive? And Jesus said, yes, absolutely. It is important that you continue to forgive. Forgiveness must be in the very DNA of your being as a Christian. God forgive you. You must, as Paul says, forgive others. So when we're struggling perhaps at times with, with each other or with issues, this one thing must, as Paul said, there is nothing greater than love. Love must rule everything we do and say. And forgiveness must be key, central to everything we are. So in this, if this epidemic has shown us anything in the last couple of years, it has shown us the wonderful privilege that we have to meet together like this. For months, the church building lay empty. We praise God for technology that allowed, allowed us to meet together in a way through television screens or computer screens. But here together, one with each other, we give God the praise for this. We should never, ever take it for granted. And of course, the technology that we enjoy today was not the privilege of the early church. And so these letters that they received from Paul were a tremendous encouragement to them. Paul, as I've said on many occasions, was one of my great heroes of the Bible. Uh, there's just so much about Paul's life that I admire and wish I was more like. Well, but there's one outstanding characteristic of Paul, and that was his servant heart. He, he was a true servant to the church. He, he just was willing, prepared to give 
anything and everything, even his very life, for the church. He loved the people of God so deeply that he was prepared to give his life for them. And of course, all of that came out of a true appreciation of what had been done for him. And so when he calls this Philippian church and every church within his diocese, if you like, he was saying, you must have the attitude of Christ. Now that's a tremendous, that is a tremendous challenge to try and be a representative, a true representative of Jesus Christ, to behave in every aspect of our lives in a way that Jesus would behave. As you know, attitudes, well, attitudes can be difficult at times. Sometimes our attitudes to each other, even to the very ones we love, can be appalling. But there is also a need to be sorry, the ability to apologize, and for others, the ability, and for us, to forgive. So, as I've said before, I, Florence and I have always, since we haven't been coming here for very long, but for a number of years, and we have enjoyed the fellowship, we have enjoyed the genuine expression of faith and love that exists within this church. And as we have read this morning, there are people looking from the outside in, and they're seeing this same love. And to use Paul's words yet again from the book of Thessalonians, said to them, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them more and more. So there is never, never a time when we have reached the pinnacle. There's never a time when we have, maybe I should put my glasses on so I can see. Um, there's never a time when we have reached the pinnacle of our expressions of love. When we think we've arrived, we need to go further. We need to go more and more. And we will consider that in a little while as to how we can actually do that. But first, how did Paul become such a champion of the church? Because he wasn't always like this. In fact, Paul wasn't even his name. This is a name he took up um, following, really, his conversion. He was actually Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And this was a very significant addition to his name because it distinguished him from other souls. It would have been a common name like John or Peter or James. But Saul of Tarsus was a man to be feared, especially if you're a Christian. And our first exposure to this Saul begins in the early chapters of Acts, as Luke recalls the horror of Stephen being stoned to death. And Stephen himself was a truly outstanding leader of the early church, but he was on trial for his faith. <clears throat> and as he stood trial, he refused to be silent. He refused to give in to the dictates of the religious leaders. Instead, he began to preach and teach Jesus as the true Messiah. And the response from those listening to his testimony 
was one of absolute hatred. <clears throat> so I want to pick up that story for a few moments. <clears throat> now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him and the witnesses laid their robes aside at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against him. Having said this, he fell asleep. And in that moment, Stephen was replicating, imitating, having the exact same attitude of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Such was the love in the heart of Stephen that he prayed for those who were stoning him. Surely we can pray for those we truly love. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen, made loud lamentation over him, but Saul began ravishing the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And we'd see from this reading that Saul was in hearty agreement with the vicious stoning of Stephen. And all of this translated into his own personal crusade of persecution against the church. He sought letters that would, from these, the, uh, the religious leaders from the temple, from the Sanhedrin, who would permit him to go into these towns and, and cities and literally drag men and women from their homes in chains so that they would be put in prison. He sanctioned their murder. He was sanctioning the destruction of the church. And no doubt, as he has said in one of the other letters, this was to put down this new religion by the upstart of Nazareth. His hatred of Jesus, his hatred of the followers of Jesus was so intense that he would ordain, he would oversee their destruction. But what happened that turned Paul from a persecutor of the church to become one of its principal leaders? Well, again, we have to turn to Scripture to get the story, because here there was a wonderful intervention of God. And this is the key for all of us sitting here and for anyone watching on the TV this morning. We were all born and shaped in sin and iniquity. David reminds us of that from the Old Testament. There is none of us good. There is none of us deserving of salvation. God must take the initiative to break into our lives. And he done that through the 
work of Christ on the cross. And here we see and read of Paul's conversion. It says, meanwhile, Paul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. Here was Paul suddenly stopped in his tracks. He was arrested by the Lord in this murderous campaign against the church. And what was about to happen was not just life-changing. This was an eternal change in Paul's life. He was about to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness and sin into the glorious light of God's kingdom. There is just so much significance in Paul's description of, of Paul's conversion. So, if there's anyone here this morning or anyone watching on television and you have not experienced this transformative work of God, then please take the opportunity to speak to Nigel or if you're online, respond to the information at the end of the service on the screen. This is what makes a difference, is God's intervention in our lives, transferring us from the kingdom of sin and darkness into which we are born, into the glorious kingdom of his light and truth through the work of Jesus Christ. Paul is convinced. He's now changed. His attitude to the church has now changed. And as I said, it's sometimes our attitude needs changing, and it's an ongoing work of grace. But we must not confuse a good attitude with simply good manners. This is a call to be like Christ, to be like him. Christ wasn't always polite, but he was truly humble. This is about a life choice. This is about an active decision to embrace a certain way of living, a true humility, a true compassion of life, that will develop all these characteristics that make such a difference within the church and outside the church. And it's also important to see that Paul is promoting a Christ-like attitude. So that's, we must observe, we must learn from the life of Christ and learn to do as he would do, to learn to think as he would think, to learn to be as he would be, to show the compassion he would show, to show the mercy he would show, to show the love he would show. This is a huge, huge call that Paul is making on the church. And so very, very simply and very briefly now, there are just three things that's contained within this statement. You must have the attitude of Christ. It is choosing 
to be humble, and it is promoting a servant-like heart. This is, we could see, this is something Paul wanted to show through all his letters that was important for the church to follow, to be truly humble, to be truly loving, to have a true servant heart to one another. And hopefully we shall see that these characteristics, they seamlessly fit together into one godly attitude of life. Paul described himself as a bond servant in his introduction to the letter of Philippians. And a bond servant is, is a servant who willingly serves their master. They will do it without pay. They will do it without reward. The only desire they have is to be pleasing to their master. And that was Paul. His desire to be pleasing to Jesus was overwhelming. And last week, Nigel helped us to understand the expression of true generosity within the church. And if Paul was anything, even though he had very little at times, he was truly generous. It was to be a whole new approach to life. And again, we are encouraged to respond with that same generosity of love and tenderness and kindness to one another that Paul is promoting. The man he once hated with such anger, he now loves with all his heart. The people he persecuted with such vicious uh, behavior, he now loves them. He serves them with all his heart. And in this, he went through a complete transition from being a persecutor to a principal leader of the church. He learned to have the same attitude that was in Christ Jesus. So he was not asking anyone to do what he was not willing to do himself. So when he, Jesus, washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet, for I give you an example that you should also do as I did to you. And what we see described here in the life of the Lord and in his attitude to his disciples was one of incredible humility and servanthood. It was unthinkable that a teacher would wash the feet of his pupils. It was unthinkable that a master would wash the feet of his servants or his slaves. This was a complete reversal of rules. Jesus was elevating his disciples to the place of honor so that he could kneel at their feet and wash them. He would serve them. Jesus himself adopted the position of a servant slave in order to wash the feet of his disciples. And this is the very essence of what Paul is teaching. He who wishes to be great in the kingdom of God must learn how to be least. And as Jesus goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This then is the hook that we can hang all our thoughts on this morning. And if I say nothing more, this is all I need to say. If you know it and you believe it, 
then do it. That's what Paul was saying, and that's what Jesus was saying. If you believe this, then do it. And this is a call to arms, not the arms of weaponry. This is a call to be embraced in the arms of Jesus, to learn from his love, to experience his love, so that we can go out and embrace others with the love of Christ. We wash each other's feet when we consider others as more important than ourselves. We wash each other's feet when we choose to step aside and let others come to the fore or to the front. We wash each other's feet when we choose to step aside and let others, sorry, come to the front. We choose each other's feet when we unreservedly and sometimes undeservedly show them respect and honor. We wash each other's feet when we weep with those who weep, as we have done a little bit this morning. We wash each other's feet when we willingly and graciously love and serve each other. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Now, this is not just about dying physically. This is about dying to self, a willingness to give oneself wholeheartedly to others. And nor is this about simply being relevant to our community. This is a demonstration of a truly authentic church that's wholly committed to each other and to the Lord. And in conclusion, Luke gives us two observations of life in the early church, which illustrates the power, the influence that we can have as a church in Bangor. Outside these walls, there are people who have little interest in God. There are even people who only know God as a swear word. They know little of the actual story of Christ. It never fails to amaze me at times when I watch quiz shows on television and they ask a Bible question that seems blatantly obvious. Everybody knows that. And they don't. They, They don't know some of the very simple, basic thoughts of the Bible. There's a whole world out there who knows precious little about God. But they know that there's people inside a building like this who worship God, and so you're the only thing that they know. We're the only thing they see. And what Paul is saying, when they look at us, let them see Jesus. So then, this is a true call to humility. All the believers as Luke records, were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them, because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. There was a holy fear on the observers of the early church. And yet, as 
as Luke records, yet more and more believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. Well, I would encourage us as we continue on with our readings in uh, the New Testament and perhaps the opportunity to go back to read again Paul's letters um, and his wonderful challenge to lead a life that is truly Christ-like. For when we do that, we will some come somewhere close to his and to God's vision for the church. Amen. May God help us to do that. <laughs>